welcome to today's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. Today we have filmmaker, the head honcho behind Dark Fortress Films, uh, the man himself. Uh, I don't know what else you do. <laughs> I know you do some other stuff. But uh, Michael, Gary, Peterson, tell us about yourself, sir. Thank you very much, Paul, for having me on the show. Uh, I'm pretty much a uh, jack of all trades. Being a dad never gets uh, never gets old, never gets tiring. But man, sometimes when you're trying to do the things that you need to do, it just gets gets in the way. But I can't be, you know, can't be rude because they are just a blessing. Oh yeah. But um, I'm um, Michael Peterson. I've uh, been a filmmaker pretty much since I was um, uh, 12 years old. I picked up my very first camera. Uh, from the age of, I want to say nine. If this goes back to when I was um, filming things on the old VHS Panasonic camcorder, if you remember those big oh, bulky yeah. things. And um, <laughs> yeah, I was um, doing the fade in with it and everything. You have to hold it down to otherwise it's not going to like you know be consistent. So I started off doing that. I made a bunch, a handful of. Uh, backyard shorts that no one will ever ever see because it's just most of them are embarrassing and most of it is just like me filming stuff in like a wide you know either in a wide angle or a weird close-up and most of the time they're on they're not in focus because you know that old vhs camcorder never could hold the focus nope only if you're like in a particular place that'll like Stay in focus, and then all of a sudden, you just go, mm, 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 yep, constantly. But, um, no, my love of movies started from a very young age. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of us can contest to this. Uh, you know, when the parents or the babysitters can't, you know, watch us or anything, we uh, sit and we watch the old boob tube, and uh, that's kind of where my obsession came from. And eventually, I decided to. Turn it into a career because I kept on getting various ideas for pieces of cinema. It's like, you know, I would like to see this. And that's how it all came to tuition. Cool. You know, it's funny you talk about using those cameras. I was like, I, I, I have no clue. I did the same thing. I made movies when I was a kid, borrowed my like friend's parents' camcorder. And we had the big one, you know, once like that big, you know, like, maybe that wide you put it up on your shoulder and you had to look through it like this and we made what we thought was the greatest movies ever and then you go back to watch them and you're like oh man you can tell it's just a bunch of kids making a movie <laughs> you know i actually found a couple of those little tapes uh, right next to my uh vinyl player here there's a box that i gotta go through it's like a bunch of uh uh, VHS, most of it's uh, home movies of my uh, of my father, but I actually found some of those old films. Uh, I've been contemplating if I should uh, transfer them to digital and then maybe upload them to my uh, YouTube channel, but some of them have copywritten music uh, put to them, though, and you know how sick oh, yeah. uh, YouTube has gotten over the years, and um, I know one of them is, a, is an old music video that has uh, Ozzy Osbourne's uh, Diver Madman with the music in the background. It's kind of a music video to that. That's my favorite Ozzy song. And I would love to share it, but looking at it from a technical standpoint, it's so bad. It's so choppy. But at the time, I thought it was like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and um, 
looking at it now. I actually just watched it a couple days ago, and I'm like, oh man, I've learned so much from that time, from that point in time. If only, I could, if, if only myself now could talk to my younger self in the past, it's like, no, this is not how you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do it this way. Oh, yeah. Well, but everyone has those learning curves and everything. I mean, Sam Raimi didn't do uh, the Spider-Man movies or even the Evil Dead, the recent Evil Dead movies, you know, overnight. He had to start from someplace. Oh, yeah. And it's it's funny to know how many of them, you know, because at a certain point, everybody had the 8mm uh, um, cameras. So you had all the old 8mm shorts that all the, like, the big name directors and stuff made when they were kids or younger. Mm-hmm. Then you had, at a certain age, everybody went to camcorders because, you know, VHS tape was far cheaper than, a, than, exactly. than a, you know, film. And then you could record it. And, and, you know, at a certain point, camcorders even got very relatively cheap. So, like, almost every family had one at one point. So every kid could go out and make movies. And then it jumps that other one where you get the ones where everybody uh, now has digital. So now everybody's making digital movies. <laughs> <laughs> all these mm-hmm. kids, and it's like, ah, this is awesome. It's a slow progression, but not really slow. I mean, I've seen all four. Not really slow because uh, there's certain types of technology, like especially with some of the cameras that I've been wanting to get my hands on to shoot the projects that I'm doing now, like the Red Cinema Camera. That is about as close as you'll get to uh, to film quality in terms of like digital and. I've looked into those, and it's like, no, I own a house, I have my studio space, but if I'm going to put that type of money toward a camera, it better either be at least a little bit more on the inexpensive side, though, or if I'm rich and pretend if I'm going to use it to buy another house, I'm just going to buy the camera instead. Because basically the red cameras are about the equivalent of a house. Yeah. Well, you know, the bad part about it is now you got all these filmmakers backtracking. You know, we were we've talked about the um, uh, I can't remember who it was, but he made the movie Unsane uh, about four years ago, and it was all filmed on an. Oh, uh, Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, Steven Soderbergh. Yes, yeah, I think, I think it's his name. Yeah, I said that since I yes, I knew as soon as somebody, it would kick, but yeah, he filmed that entire movie on an iPhone, and that's insane. Yeah, that was the. I, I think it was the iPhone 11 at the time when that movie came out. And I saw the trailer and I wanted to see the movie, though, but it was one of those trailers where I sat and I watched. I'm like, you know, I already got the twist what it's going to be. So I haven't seen the movie yet, though, but I've heard people talk about it because there's certain movies where it's just like, no, I don't want to hear it. I want to go into it with the fresh slate. I want to experience it. And then there's some movies that I just don't have any interest in seeing, but um kind of sort of interested and it's like i kind of want to know a little bit about it before i actually sit down and like watch it oh yeah so that's just that's just me how my thought process is whenever i'm doing like you know movies or going to see them well my, my whole thing was that was during the time when we had movie pass so we we just went to see movies mm-hmm. constantly so it was like ah what are we doing today i don't know let's go see a movie yeah sure let's go to movies let's <laughs> see a movie go Go, go use Movie Pass, and uh, you know you can do a review for it for the channel and everything. Yeah, yeah, we we would uh, legitimately. There was like a week when I watched I think five movies in seven days because I, you know, I got bored. I'd call my buddy up because everybody else in the house was asleep. I'd like, hey, Mark. He's like, what? I was like, you want to go to the movie? <laughs> you know, the late one. So he'd go like, yeah, let's go. So we'd just go to the theater because <laughs> I'm like, God, I. I, I, I 
I miss doing that, especially with uh, with today. I mean, I, I you know ever since the you know the pandemic hit and everything, everyone everything's kind of been like you know gradually like opening up. And one of the many things that I missed during that, that time was to go to the theater and to watch movies. And then recently they've been transferring th things over to v you know to VOD video on demand, and now it's it, you got this weird time in history when it comes to like cinema because some will be in release in the theaters and some will be just released onto streaming yep. and some will have this half and half you can see it you know in theaters and then a couple of days later it'll be available on video on demand for like a like so many you know days or so yep oh yeah well what, what and we uh i don't know i think I, I really think that takes uh, a lot of the way from just the experience of going to the movies and just sitting there in a dark theater and just watching it. Because you can easily sit in your house, dim the lights, pop some popcorn, you know, crack open a beer or whatever your beverage that you would like to have is and just sit there and watch a movie. But I don't know, there is just something very special and unique about sitting in the movie theater just watching it on the big screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a thing. Me and my, me and my uh, one of my older sons, he we he's an adult and i'll call him up i'm like well we going to go see this movie this weekend yes so we go see every thursday it's my day <laughs> off from the shop and it's the day every movie drops and given the fact that i have a comic shop i gotta see movies like when they drop if not everybody will ruin it before i can see it um <laughs> we go to the theater and it's funny because people like like we went and seen godzilla we went and seen dune we went and seen all the movies that were same day on like hbo max we went and seen them in the theater because you cannot see a Godzilla movie. You, if you can see a Godzilla movie in the theater, you go see it in the theater because it's Godzilla. Right. <laughs> Dune, you go yeah. see Dune because it's huge. Um, and the, and don't get me wrong, there there's some horror movies that kind of snuck in underneath the radar. Like a, um, I didn't see Smile when it came out in the theater, but my wife and I. We I haven't seen it yet either. Um, I still haven't seen Barbarian. It's on there, but I, every time we go to watch it, my uh, my youngest will come down and start being a turd, and we have to go. Come on, Vince, go upstairs. <laughs> um, not to, not to spoil Barbarian though, but I'll just say this: it's um, it's very unique for what it is. But um, when you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It feels like yeah. there's two movies in one. From what I even though they're yeah, even though they're connected, yeah. It um, just feels like there's like a complete tonal shift, like midway through. It's like, am I watching a completely different movie? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, the thing is, is that um, you you live you you're in Detroit, right? Yes, just uh, about fifteen minutes outside of Detroit. Fifteen minutes. Out. Yeah. Um, we have the ongoing joke that that film was just that's just happens in Detroit in certain parts of Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are some spots that I um, watch in the movie that I do recognize. Actually, the um, one of their establishing shots is actually in the, um, I guess, one of the rundown areas of River Rouge. There's actually like a street, and like right down the street, there is this. Um, I'm not too sure if it's like a uh, a gas container or if it's an old water tower that's vacant. Mm -hmm. But one of the scenes takes place near there, and it's like you know. I've driven through Detroit quite a few times. I've been on many shoots. I even worked down there a couple, for a couple of years. And it's like, I know that that location. Yeah. I know that street. Or, or if, if it even was, because I know some of it was shot in Detroit, some of it was shot in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But 
if if it was all shot in Detroit, I would actually believe it because <laughs> areas they picked pretty much matches, you know, the atmosphere of what oh, yeah. Detroit looks like in the middle of the night. You don't oh, want to yeah. be there. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, what was funny was uh, um, my uh, my mother-in-law is from Detroit. I'm like, she grew up on Military mm-hmm. Avenue in Detroit. And um, we went up to uh, the L Club up in Detroit to go see uh, uh, Perturbator play up there. And um, I'm sitting going, man, these addresses sound familiar. And I'm like looking around, looking around. So I call, I call my wife up when we get there because she didn't go with us. And I'm like, hey, we're here. And I was like, yeah, we're just down a street from military. I was like, we're over on this street. And she goes, oh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, my, we, uh, uh, my mom lived over there. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right. So she's sitting there talking to her mom while I'm on the phone. And she goes, yeah, she goes, okay, well, you know where you're at? And I'm like, yeah, I'm at the corner of, and I can't remember what street it was. And she goes, okay, you see that school right there? <laughs> and I went, yeah. And she goes, that's my high school. And I went, oh, well, shit. Okay, you know exactly where I'm at then. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's where she grew up was where that club was. And I'm like, holy crap, man, this is freaking great. Um. Mm-hmm. But- now, 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 now! All the family lives in uh, over by Brighton, so. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. that. That's about like a twenty-minute drive from where I'm at. Oh, depending on you know what the traffic is like. Yeah, well, the nice part Brighton's about not it, that far. <laughs> well, technically, I have a cabin there, so <laughs> we have a cabin on the lake. <laughs> nice. So if we need to do like a, uh, so if I need to do a. Uh, a Friday the Thirteenth or a Evil Dead fan film, I should go up there to where well, it's at. <laughs> yeah, but it's not really that. That's not that secluded. It's 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 kind of residential, but it's it is a cabin on the lake. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, if you really think about it, I mean, you could. That's the beauty of filmmaking. I mean, if you choose the right angles, you can. Oh yeah, definitely make it look secluded, like uh, like like uh, John. I'm gonna. Um, John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors of all time, he actually just celebrated his 76th birthday, and his first big feature that caught everyone's attention was Assault on Precinct 13, and the building that he used was actually in a very high residential area, and what he had in mind was that this police station was pretty much like, almost like on the outskirts of the resident area, though, so he had to basically make it look like chooses angles wisely to make it look like it was pretty much like on the outskirts. And, and it was really funny because when I was watching his interview and his commentary, he's like, okay, we're going to cut to five different locations here in just the span of a second. We're going to see, okay, here's the main character. This is the location we're at. And then we're going to cut to just outside of Los Angeles. Here's 60 miles from the location we were at. And then there's the parking lot where we all met for the very first, you know, for, for morning and it was like wow just using all those areas just to make it look like it's in the middle of nowhere yeah and that's the beauty of filmmaking too because and you don't know you don't know unless if you're actually like there yeah which is the cool which is the cool thing because you'll be sitting there um and it's like you know you're watching all these people react to it it's like they don't know how long it took for us to, just to even get that scene done <laughs> How many locations we had to visit? How many takes it took just to get the the squib to go off or to get the special effect right? Yeah, it's a long process. I uh, but the audience has the best 
has the best uh, seat in the house whenever it comes to watching movies. They don't get to see all the nitty gritty stuff that goes into it or anything. They see the final product. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, is that um, I've worked on three movies and uh, was in two of them. And just, I kind of hung back both times while I was working on them. And I was like, I just learned what I could while I was there. And I was like, man, mm -hmm. holy crap, there's so much that goes into this. You know, you're... you're there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. Like today, uh, I'm finishing up my... Um, the thing that I'm actually working on now is this Halloween fan film I've been doing since... Uh, last year and um i'll tell you a little bit about that series that i'm working on um i just edited some of the insert shots that i did and it took like three nights just to do those insert shots mm -hmm. and i basically had to recreate the light in from three different days of shooting to make it look like it was all shot on the same day and believe it or not that takes a good while to get set up correctly because you're using one, you have the foot, the old footage on a monitor, and you're looking at that for reference, and you're trying to tweak the lights here and there. It's like, okay, this little thing was right there. Because if there's anything I can't stand in any movie, is continuity errors, especially if they're like very drastically oh, yeah. known. And I try, I try whenever I do my stuff, I try to have a continuity person on set, but for the most part, it's just me. So I really try to get everything all I can done in like you know in one go. Yeah, um, um, but no, I'm uh, working on this uh, Halloween fan film. I've been working on it for like a year now. This was uh, uh, coming up to the recent one that just came out, and um, there's this series that I created on my YouTube channel because I've, if there's anything that I notice when it comes to uh, to YouTube, it's the views that basically sell the product and the channel and everything. Now I'm not homogenized anything because they they changed their policy yeah, for like yep. a billion time and uh, well you know you've been on this platform for quite some time yeah. i started in 2011 when you could still get a little bit of revenue if you had the views so i've noticed that you know the original films yes they get views depending on who you are though but the one thing i do notice is that either fan films get you know the fan films get the views or it's footage from previous movies that's edited to make it seem like it's a legit uh, yeah. release. Like, I, I shared one the other day, you probably saw it on my Facebook page, that uh, someone did one for The Legend of Zelda, and it looked legit up until I saw the footage from Lord of the Rings and uh, Game of Thrones, and then I think the Golden Compass was thrown in there. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, this is a fan one. This oh, is yeah. a heart, this is a using existing footage so the series that i created was is called official unofficial because it's official to a franchise but at the same time it's unofficial because i'm doing it as a fan project so it's kind yeah. of a play on those two words so a couple of years ago i did it for chapter two you've probably seen like my post online for that i did one with uh with it and then the big one that i was trying to get ahead of was for this final Michael Myers movie, and that's the one that I was doing to kind of like gain more people to come to my channel. Because when you're a YouTube creator slash filmmaker, you're trying to get people to come see your product and everything. Either if it's just streaming, reviews, 
or if you have original ideas, or if you have an idea for a skit, and people think it's you know it's uh, it's hilarious, or if it's like really interesting. Oh, so, yeah. um, but also I'm a Halloween fan. I'm also a Halloween and you know and Pennywise fanatic too. So it's kind of the reason why I did it though. And I also had like I was against from doing fan films, but after doing two of them, I'm like you know. This is actually, I mean, you're, if you really think about it, yes, you're unofficially, like, you know, tackling, you know, a franchise or, you know, a piece of material that exists already, but you're also putting your own footnote on it. Oh, yeah. thing. You're kind of making it your own vision of what you want to see, because I'm pretty sure you've done this before. Like the new, I'm just going to use, uh, like one of the new Star Wars movies that came mm -hmm. out. You wait for so long for something to come out, and then when they finally do, you get there, you can either be, okay, that was better than I expected, or it's like, mm, no, it's not what I was expecting at all. What I had in mind was a little bit, was a little bit more in-depth and a little yeah. bit more on par with what it was. So, no, I used to not look down at fan films because I can definitely see a lot of creativity, especially yeah. from upcoming makers that, you know, that tackle it. I mean, heck, some of the best um, uh, fan projects that I've seen has been ones either with a little bit of a budget or ones with no budget that actually knows exactly what they what they know how to do, what they know how to point the camera and just not make it look really amateurish. Because I see a ton of fan flicks that are very amateurish. And like oh, the yeah. last one I saw, uh, I. Bless the guy, bless the kid's heart. He was definitely trying. He was trying to do like a Hunger Games parody, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I mean, he was really, really proud of it. And it's like, I kind of seen this before, especially you know in high school. But you know, you, you can't laugh at the kid or anything. You can't you know put them oh, yeah. down because they're you know they're using what they have to work with. Oh yeah, well, it also gets you experience because you know, okay. Yes. You can look at different directors and stuff like that. Like, I've been going back this last few weeks and uh, just watching stuff, old stuff that I, I liked that I haven't watched in a while. And mm -hmm. you, you watch how these people have grown. And, you know, some of them, I hate to say this, will backtrack. You'll see, you'll see all this growth. And then all of a sudden you see this, and it comes back. And you're just like... Did you forget something? Did you? Did you, but but no matter what you make, no matter what you do, I think it's all learning. It's all moving forward. It's all bettering yourself and everything else like that. So, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I'll just say, I'll say, even though I have a bachelor's degree in film and television, mm -hmm. but even with every shoot that I do, even if it's just like a little video blog for like the channel, there's something new that I learn mm -hmm. every single day. Like, for example, I was uh, editing, I learned that you can, um, there's different settings for the warp stabilizer, which is basically a filter that you can use to, to smooth out footage, especially if you, because I have a bunch of uh, rigs, and sometimes the camera will be just perfect, and it won't be like Jocelyn or anything, though, but there's sometimes where if one thing is off balance, it's going to be, like, really wobbly. So I've had to use the warp stabilizer, especially for this last project that I did. And it's like, oh, this is what actually does this. So it's it's kind of, it's almost like, you know, a huge experiment. Yeah. 
it's progress, and that's how you basically hone your craft and everything. I mean, now I can easily just say, like, you know, no, I don't learn anything because I just do everything, you know, just right, though, but that's just, no, because everything that I've done, even with projects that is not, doesn't have my name attached to them, like, as the director or the writer, uh, but just as the editor, um, you learn so much more, especially with terms of uh, storytelling and getting the right, you know, take for an actor to make it seem like a legit performance instead of it being like so hammy where it's just like, okay, either you got to reshoot this or you basically have to change the the entire concept of this movie because this is basically watching like, you know, <laughs> one of those B movies where you have your friends cast in the lead role and you're expecting it to be like this, like a cameo award winning performance. And no, it's just going to be unintentionally funny. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I, I do the three shows and I work with this software and I'm always learning every time I put something together, every time I film something, every time I go somewhere, you know, there's that learning curve and, you know, you're right. You know, you got to change it and go with the flow. I mean, I, people, I got, I got crap for one interview I did because they're like, well, you need to, I was like, the guy answered all the questions before I had a chance to ask any of them. So he goes, well, you need to get better, better at asking questions. I'm like, I couldn't ask the questions. He was literally answering them before I could answer. So, you know, and so I, okay, that's learning experience. So I, I you know, mm-hmm. so I kind of changed it, made it a little more funnier. I edited a couple things out where we got kind of serious. And that was, you know, but we had a blast doing it. But people still complain because they're like, well, you need to ask better questions. I'm like, those were the questions I asked. That's I didn't even ask them. <laughs> right. So. And it's like, you, I mean, you can have your, your formal, I mean, this is what you learn at, um, when you're going to school for this. I mean, when you're doing like interview projects, you have your formal questions mm-hmm. and then sometimes they'll piggyback off into something else. And you'll either get something that, oh, that's, unique or you interested to this conversation or it's something that's completely out there yeah it's like you know what take that out maybe later on it's like hey if you like this interview here's some of the material that we never used or anything because i don't know i prefer like seeing the unedited stuff because you kind of see the thought process from both the interviewer and the interviewee well, that's that's when people ask. They're like, you know, why are some of your interviews so long? I was like, because if I edited anything out of that conversation, it wouldn't make any sense. So even if I, mm-hmm. you know, you know, okay, yeah, I might like if if I hear my dog barking, I will go back there. I'll let the dog in. I'll edit that little tiny bit out. Or if something happens, mm-hmm. or if my kid comes down the steps, or whatever, I'll edit that out. But the conversations, mm-hmm. I never edit. So your natural flow of conversation continues the flow. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you delete, you know, two minutes of a, of a, of a 10 minute conversation, it doesn't make any sense. So, right. Yeah. But there's always, but the, the cool thing is though, is that when you have to make edits, there's always, there's always a, a cutting point. You just have to really sit there and like, you know, watch everything from beginning to end. And God, there's sometimes where I'll, I'm pretty sure you've experienced this too as an editor. You'll sit there, be looking at like, maybe two hours of footage and it's like, oh my God, I need to make that first cut. And then all of a sudden, boom, you hear, you know, a certain phrase and then you go, okay, in, out, 
drag it and then bring the next part in from the the interview and then either it'll either be seamless or it'll be just so jarring it's like no i need a little bit more just to like you know build on the skeleton here oh yeah yep um so i got i gotta ask you this this is what mm-hmm. this is where i get into actual questions um, okay so why did you decide to do halloween recently well like i said um when i did because when I did it, mm-hmm. uh, it, it chapter two was on its way out, mm-hmm. and um, I got bombarded with like you know a bunch of projects. I was editing another. I was editing a feature, had a falling out with the director. That's a whole other can of worms that I can go into much later on down the line, though. But I basically had to put my stuff on hold to finish this feature that ended up you know getting scrapped for a time being and then eventually it got released and there's a whole thing going between him and I and everything though but um the reason why I did Halloween is I figured if I, if I figured if I'm going to be doing like you know fan projects as just for fun and get myself experience and everything I figured figure out what is coming out and try to do something either a trailer or a, or a scene or even like, you know, a 15-20 minute short. Because the version of Halloween I'm going to be releasing on the 34th, it's only 22 minutes long. It's only, it's a 22 minute short. Um, but it's kind of like what I was thinking ends was going to be. Because when I came up with this scenario, it's like, okay, after I saw Kills, I'm like, okay, I know what the next official, unofficial episode is going to be. It's going to be Halloween ends and this is what I have to work with and the only thing I had to work with was that they said in an interview there was going to be a four year time jump in the next you know the next Halloween movie like okay that's all I needed and I kind of just went with that and it's really funny because I don't know if you've seen the official movie or not though because when the the, the official movie came out and when my trailer because I started dropping like the trailers for mine while the official trailers were being dropped, that's how I was able to get those views. And of course, I got those typical, oh, this is, you know, fan film, fake, whatever. Or I got the ones that, re- that I really liked. It's like, this actually seems a lot more interesting than the actual official one. Because the one I have in mind is completely different from the official one. It is way different. Yeah. And, um, no, I did Halloween Ends because... Um, one, Michael is the only slasher villain that still makes me afraid of the dark. I've seen countless movies where, you know, I've seen grotesque creatures. They do nothing to me, though. Michael scares the shit out of me. Excuse my language, but he just petrifies me. And that became, like, my obsession and everything. And also, I really wanted, you know, to capture capture him on film in a way, but I wanted to do something that was my own unique, you know, take on the character, and so I figured with ends coming out, I'm like, you know what, this would be a great way to uh, push official, unofficial into more of, like, the, the YouTube crowd, because I noticed that a lot of people are turning to the internet to watch for their content now, mm-hmm. because either the things that we're getting in theaters are either um, remakes that are just, like, they're just not as good as the original, or they're um, they're something that we've seen before. 
So doing Halloween Ends was a combination of striking while the the iron was hot, and also me being inspired by the character and story that David Gordon Green and John Carpenter and Janie McBride were telling for this new timeline, you know, at the time. And then I just, like, you know what? Because originally this was supposed to be just a trailer. This was supposed to be just a trailer. If, you, if you've seen the three that I released, uh, it was supposed to be just a trailer. But I shot so much material that I have enough for, like, a short. So that's why I always do the, the super cut for these uh, episodes. Because I did the same thing with uh, with It. I had so much footage, and it's like, you know, I'm just going to do a super cut just so people can see, you know, what didn't make it into the trailers or anything. So I have a super cut that's going to be released. That's what's coming out on the 31st. But, like I said, it's striking while the iron's hot, and also I have a opportunity to put my name on the Halloween franchise unofficially, but say, hey, if I get far into my career and it's time to hang up the camera and everything, I can always say I finally did something that had Michael Myers attached to it, even though it wasn't, like, you know, officially or anything. So it's kind of just like, you know, me being passionate about the character and about that type of, uh, of story. Cool. I mean... You know, you know, there's been other directors who have gotten jobs working in film because they did a fan film. You know, mm -hmm. so you know, you you never know. It could it, it, it come around later on in life and be like, "Hey, we're bringing back Halloween." Uh, Halloween, right. begins, Halloween begins again. Or uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, uh, for me. If they ever did come up, if they ever did approach me for a new Halloween uh, trilogy or a Halloween movie, I would try to just to do like I would just try to do one, and then just have it be that because you know it's today. I I don't know if you notice this trend. Whenever it comes to like you know one successful movie, that successful movie is going to eventually turn into a freaking trilogy mm -hmm. and. I am a big believer that everything doesn't need to be a trilogy. Like this new, this new Halloween trilogy that just came out, it didn't need to be a trilogy. It could have been one, two and a half, you know, two and a half hour movie, and then that was it. That could have been like a gigantic finale for everything instead oh, of just splitting it up into three movies. But that's just me, though. You know, I, I, you know, one of my favorite directors is Quentin Tarantino. Instead of breaking it up into several movies, you know, just put it all in one because it's all right there. Yeah. Except for Kill Bill. <laughs> yeah, for Kill Bill. But, um, but no, like I said, it was a combination of just that, and also I just really wanted to do something with uh, Michael. And the funny thing is, is that as soon as I started dropping like, those trailers or like, those little snippets, because you have uh, the opportunity to do shorts now on mm -hmm. YouTube, my numbers shot up because I just did stuff with Michael. It's like, wow, I never knew William Shatner's face could get me that much attention on my on my, my YouTube channel. It's like, I should have, I, I maybe I should have done these fan films a while ago because when I first started uh, my channel, it was just my original stuff and I got like the few clicks here or there and then it's like, you know what, I need to have something else besides just my original work because I noticed the numbers tend to go up when people are constantly posting so there's like mm -hmm. interview, I've seen interviews, reviews, 
And I'm just like, you know, why not do the fan film thing? And then, you know, everyone liked my version of, uh, of it. And then I did this version of Halloween. And it was really funny because after uh, Halloween Ends came out, the official one, people were saying, like, you know, I really wish that they would have gave you the opportunity to do Ends because your vision was so much better and more in tune with what they actually finally came up with. And this is before I saw the movie because of, because in the end, there's two completely, my, they're two completely different versions. Like, if you look at mine, both side by side between David Gordon Green's and mine, we got two different versions. Like, way different versions. Well, yeah. this doesn't, spoiler alert for anybody who's watching this, um, I believe that, that, that uh, Halloween Ends is a loophole movie. Because from what I understand, with the people I've talked to that have worked for uh, um, the Assad um, family and stuff like that, is is that they you cannot get rid of Michael Meyer because it's uh it's money. They don't want that money to go away. So exactly, it's a loophole so that they can end that one. They can end the Jamie Lee Curtis stuff. They can do that, and they're like, okay, that's done. But technically, we can still get... We're going to continue on. We can continue it. And uh, I say we go back to the Jamie Lloyd universe. So we... <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. I, um, people are asking, like, are you going to be a... What, honey? Yes, you're a waving puppy. <laughs> She's so adorable. Um, I'm hearing um, maybe like in five years or so... I've I've also been hearing it, especially through Daniel Harris, because I follow Daniel Harris through her social media, and she posts like these little videos saying and that uh, she's talking to someone that's trying to retcon her character from Halloween four and five. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if they had, if they bring her back and they finish her story, I wouldn't mind that because honestly, I felt like her character got done. Extremely oh, dirty. Dirty. I hated. Dirty. I hated Halloween Six. Both cuts of the movie. I can't stand the curse of Michael Myers. And uh, um, it's so funny when people are, are talking to me because you know, ever since I did this fan film, they're like, they think of me as like Mr. Myers. It's like, no, I'm I'm a Halloween super fan though. But I know there's fans out there that put me to shame. I mean, th there's one fan that I heard out in North Carolina that completely redid his house, like the Myers house. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 60. Yep. It's like, those guys have... I got nothing on those guys. That's just Sorry. way too much money and free time. Exactly. Man, no way. Th that dude it cannot he cannot be married or he cannot have kids. Or he just has a stupid good job that just... He, I can't spend this much money. I'm going to make my house look like that. You know? Right. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But um, if I was rich, the front of my house would look like Castle Grayskull. I'm... <laughs> If I had the money, I would have um, uh, the castle from Castlevania, you know, Dracula's castle. Oh, yeah. That's just, you know, what I would have. But each part of the castle would be dedicated to something to make sure that, you know, I have everything that I need. But, um, no, going back to, um, you were talking about it being like, you know, a loophole. And Without spoiling it or anything, I don't know if we're allowed to go into spoilers or anything. Yeah, for I, always, the... I always just tell them, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about a movie that came out, how many months Okay, well, have you seen, 
Well, have you seen Ends? Yeah. That's all opening night. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I'll just say this, because um, I'm pretty sure people are, are curious if they are, because um, it really depends on who you talk to, especially, because when I first did it, I got, like, a lot of praise from the Halloween community, or they're like, oh, this is great, you know, this should be, this should be the the version that should be in theaters, or this should be, you know, be turned into something, and that, that makes me feel so great, because it's like, you know, I, I do put a lot of effort into, into this, I mean, everything that I've done since the very beginning, you know, I put a lot of effort into it, I mean, heck, I've been working on this thing for a year now, and it's coming near the end, because I'm getting ready to do my next project, but, um, and of course, you have the one fans that are just like, oh, it's a fan film. It's like, you know, fan films are never good. And I think that's a big crock of crap because there's some fan films that I've seen that are way better than the official movies. Oh, yeah. Definitely. There's some beautiful fan films out there. I remember when the fan films started hitting like the late 90s. Um, mm-hmm. Because I was in the convention circuit at the time, and we'd start they, them guys started the tape guys, the, the guys that would do the bootleg tapes. We'll go. Have you seen? Have you, you know? Like, have you seen uh, um, uh, the uh, um, Grayson, which was the bat, the the Robin short film, or have you seen the Batman one that uh, uh, Dead End, or have you seen you know this uh, well, um, that one? Yeah, and uh, hell, that got that guy a job. Remember, you know, I was gonna say if I remember correctly, Dead End was the. The one where Batman's fighting the Joker, and then all of a sudden the alien pops out of nowhere. Yeah, the predators and show up. Yep, and he starts to fight the alien and the predator. Yep, and I, I remember when I saw that I was in Los Angeles. It was for, this was uh, in two thousand four. This is after I graduated high school. I went to California Universal Studios for my graduation gift. I went to a big comic shop that was out there, and I think the filmmaker that did that movie i think he was either working at the comic shop i'm not too sure this was so long this was many many years ago i'm surprised i remember this far um but i i think i actually met the director and he was showing it though and i just sit there just being like you know in awe i'm just like man i mean that actually looks like a legit batman costume and that looks like a legit predator costume too and uh, it, you know, it was it was a great little fan flick, and I actually really enjoyed it. Oh yeah! Then you had the guys that because I, I want to say the real the big first big fan films I started really seeing were Star Trek, uh, followed then by horror, <laughs> then Star Wars, and then you know it kept on going. Uh, I remember seeing the old VHS tapes of uh, um, I think I still got it somewhere in my collection. Um, the fan film, the Crow fan fan film that they made back in like I want to say like '89. And uh, I think I, I know what you're talking. I yeah. know what you're talking about. Um, I know what you're talking about because um, here in Detroit, uh, they actually ju- I don't know if you've seen it circulating online or anything though, but. They just did a Crow fan film in Detroit, that was shot all in Detroit, and I thought it was like going to be like, okay, it's going to be a 45-minute short. No, it's almost like 100 minutes, and I was completely blown away that yeah. they actually did a feature length. And actually, it's good. Yeah, I sat and I watched that. I dedicated the evening to it. Though. I'm like, this is, only, this is really good. So anyone that says that fan films are a waste of time, it's like, no, there is a lot of technique and a lot that goes into it regardless of whoever is working on it. it, well, it whatever furthers the craft. 
you know, because uh-huh. that that teaches the the director more. That teaches the actors more. That teaches the people who edit it more. Everything you do, you know, I have a friend who's in a cover band, and he he hated being in a cover band because he's like, oh, you know, I'm just I'm like, do you have fun? Are you learning? Is your is your playing getting better? He goes, well, yeah. Then why are you worried about being in a cover band? You know, that's right. I, that's what I equate fan films to is it's a cover band for filmmakers and you're taking a franchise that you like and putting your stamp on it, even if it is a fan film. So, mm-hmm. and you're getting the experience too, because, yeah. um, you know, there's some things that I've always wanted to, to achieve in terms of like shot wise or just scene wise, like, uh, my, one of my favorite shots from Halloween is from the original is when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is right here and she's crying because she just found her friends dead. And then all of a sudden you see, you see the shadow. Yeah. You see yep. out of the darkness. And I recently just did a shot like that for this one. And yeah, it took a long time to get it set up and everything though. But when you see it, it's like, ooh, it's like you get the goose. I got goosebumps just thinking about it. And, um, but um, yeah, I see it as a as a huge stepping stone, and you never know where it's going to lead to. Well, you know, I I I've occasionally I have it partially written. Um, I wrote essentially a script for a Halloween movie, and it's nothing to do with any of the previous Halloween stuff like that. It's basically. Um, I'll tell people about it. I don't care, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. the whole point of it is is that at a certain point, people start moving away from Haddonfield. And Haddonfield becomes super low income. Because the only people that can, you know, because people can go buy houses there super cheap. Because, you know, no one wants to live in Haddonfield when this killer shows up every there. year. Yeah. So, basically, it was this whole thing I, I did. Because when I started writing it... Um, I wasn't at the best point, you know, kind of poor, you know, I've, I've been poor mm-hmm. um, and everything. And I'm like, you know, we all have at some point. yeah. and I'm like, you know, if somebody came up to you and goes, you can have this beautiful, big, nice house for $10,000. You'd be like, yeah, wh- what's wrong with it? Nothing. The town right. is got a serial killer in it. And you're like, but he shows up like every 10 years. And you'd be like, <laughs> What? But I can get this house. But how many people die every 10 years? Like eight people? I mean, this town's got like 35,000. I like my odds. You know, that's just where you go with it. (laughs) Dude, I'm not going to lie. If somebody come up to me and goes, you can have this three-story house. $10,000 cash. You can buy it outright. No taxes, no nothing. Everything's dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody who lives there is going to be, you know, kind of lower budget. So, you know, food's going to be cheap. Everything's going to be cheap. There's a, a nasty element that's in this town. You'd be like, whatever. Right. You know, I got crackheads that live down the street. Whatever. <laughs> but, so, basically, this was like a, a low-income Hattonfield, like, sometime in the future. Yeah. And, obviously, Michael hasn't been caught yet. No. He's still running amok and... I, I went with the whole supernatural um, um, Michael because I'm like, he would be like 75 years old. 
I'm like, <laughs> I was like, okay, he'd be an old ass man, but I just have him being this like kind of force of nature. He just is what he, you know, and it gets away from the the whole elements where he has to kill his sister or his family members. It's just he mm-hmm. is there. It's it's their curse. I mean, you know, they have the curse of Michael Myers, but it's part of this town. This whole area is is that this thing is there and it exists mm-hmm. and it will continue to exist. But it just shows up every you know ten years or so. Kills like eight. 10 people and then disappears again. And, you know, I had it so that people were, you know, there was always these people like trying to find him, trying to figure out where he goes. And, um, but it was all about people just being on the cusp. So it was kind of a a commentary on being poor and what you kind of go through being poor, the kind of the bullshit. And, you know, Uh to try to make your life better, you have to go through a lot of bullshit to make your life better. And that was, what I was kind of, you know, I know. I got kind of No, I like the concept. It kind of sounds like what um, I'm pretty sure you probably read, but John had in in, in mind for uh, his original version of 4 uh, because Michael was presumed dead. He died at the hospital. This is back when they were doing the, the original sequels. Yeah. Michael died at the the end of two, mm-hmm. and then they did three, which is the, you know, the anthology approach, yeah. and that failed. Then they brought him back, and apparently John's original script was that it's going to be Michael, though, but Michael's more like, you know, like like you said, an entity. He's a yeah. ghost and everything. And apparently, there was going to be a death in Hattonfield, and it was going to cause, like, you know, panic and everything. Like, oh my god, he's, he's back, and etc. But at the stroke at midnight, you know, the entity disappears. He disappears, and then you don't see him until the next Halloween or whatever. They never gave John the chance to do that or anything because they actually wanted to do the same movie over and over and over again, and that's kind of the reason why I had so much of a problem with uh, the sequels. Well, it's better than the one... um... I found it online. I don't know if you can still find it. Um, I know there's, uh, I think there's a book and it's all the, uh, un, the unmade, uh, Halloween scripts or the, 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 yeah, it's, it's part of, um, I, there, there's, if I'm correctly, if I'm correct, there's this YouTuber that does, that focuses on the Halloween and the Scream franchises. I think his name is the YouTube channels beyond the mask. And he has like a, uh, a playlist that's dedicated to like all these unfinished scripts for Halloween. And the one I just mentioned was the one that I just told you that, yeah. you know, John, you know, this was like 10 years later after the events of 78 happened, Michael's dead. Then all of a sudden someone drops dead, you know, just before Halloween and everyone's like, you know, freaking out thinking that, you know, Michael survived the fire, everything's in chaos. And then it turns out, it's actually Michael, but it's not him living. It's more like his ghost, like an yeah. entity, like the, the town's negativity, you know, to hold it out of the past kind of like brought him back. Oh, and yeah. then at midnight, just like disappears. So it was like a very, like, very unique psychological, almost, you know, supernatural. It was, but they just didn't go with that. Almost like a fog. <laughs> the, 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 the thing exactly. Yeah. Well, 
Um, exactly, which sounds interesting to me. The one I wanted to happen was to connect three and Halloween. So Halloween three, you, the, uh, the rumor was was that you were going to find out that the masks that Michael wore were silver shamrock masks, and that connects him the to silver Sham shamrock. But um, the My one mask. that I thought was batshit crazy that I want to see one day is the one that ends in the drive-in where he keeps killing people and he keeps getting bigger. And so there's literally like a 12... That's the, that was the, the, 12 that was the one that I was yeah. telling you about. <laughs> like a he was, yeah, that was the one that I was telling you about. That was John's original vision. And uh, and apparently at the end of that, you know, stroke of midnight, he disappears. He vanishes. Because apparently there's like this like big finale at this drive-in. He's like, you know, almost, almost... I don't want to say the size of Godzilla because I'm like, okay, that sounds yeah. stupid. Just you know, making him the size of Godzilla, but something happens and eventually they blow up the um, the drive-in, and then when the smoke clears, he's gone. And then you hear the clock chime like at midnight, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, he wasn't even here to begin with. Everyone kind of just like went crazy. So I don't know. I, I just thought that was really interesting because uh, it's not do, you're not doing the same thing over and over and over oh, again. Yeah. I wanted something different. Um, reason, and this is the reason why I actually did like um, the official ends because one, they gave me something different. But the thing is, even though they gave me something different, I still felt like that whole thing with the. Uh, Spoiler alert! Yeah, Corey Cunningham character was. Um, I just felt like that whole bit was tacked on, just tacked on to make him the red heron to keep the focus away from him, because yeah. they were building up the storyline like, okay, Michael's been gone for four years, which when I was given the which, which when I found out about there was a four year time gap, I'm like, okay, I know exactly what this is going to be about, and I came up with mine, and then. Saw the official one. I'm like, this is nowhere near what I had in no. mind. There's no Corey Cunningham character. I'll say that. Um, if they wanted me to have him in there, I would have made him just like the you know one of uh, Allison's friends. That's about it. I wouldn't make him the love interest or anything. The the to get to get too far away from this, I always thought that that uh, um, the. Yet again, spoiler alert! If you haven't watched this movie, um, go watch it now and then come <laughs> back and watch it. Finish watching this. Um, the end where they throw Mike—I don't think that's Michael. I think that's a homeless man. Um, because the one homeless man that tried to attack him, he goes, "I'm Michael Myers" and stuff like that. I think the Michael Myers spirit is possessing the people so that he can regain his strength. So that the person that they killed is not Michael. Michael Myers is still in the sewer. Oh. That's my theory. Is that that's not oh. Michael Myers. And everybody's like, well, he's missing fingers and stuff like that. Michael's not stupid. He would have cut the fingers off of the guy and sent him out to be him while he keeps getting stronger. Because if you go back and watch... You know, I... I know, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the homeless guy that attacks yeah. Corey when he stumbles yeah. out of the yep. out of the sewer. I would actually buy that, but if you're talking about, you know, Michael not being stupid and 
cut the fingers off. He would have tried to at least cut Corey's fingers off to make it look like it was well, him, though. That was that. That's my own. But thing. the thing is, though, is he's already got two. He's got the guy who everybody thinks is Michael. Then he's got Corey out there, so he's using these deaths to make himself stronger. And so he's in the sewer. He's still lurking in that sewer somewhere. No mask, no nothing. There is a burn-up old man, but he's using his... Because he's already spread his evil to Corey. So I'm thinking he's spread it to other people because he's in there four years. So there's them homeless people that are around him. So that he's he sent them out there to basically uh, be his quote-unquote avatars. That's my theory. You know, that's that my- is actually, that's a, you know, I've never, th- I never thought of that before. I always thought, because usually when you see homeless people, especially in horror movies, they're always like, you know, the they're either red herons or they're Go just ahead. like, you know, the, the crazy old coop that lives in the park or they live in the, you know, in this area. But, no, I can see that, I can see that happening. Yeah, and see, and also that does make perfect sense because um, they changed the ending before the movie came out because apparently the ending was completely different, and apparently it pissed off people so much that they're like, either this gets changed or we're not going to. The original ending tested so poorly. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's one of the ones where. I kind of sat back and I was like, I'm watching this movie and what I knew the fact is, is that they would not let them get rid of Michael Myers. I'm like, that's not Michael that they ground up. Michael's still out there. So they could continue. See, Lori's done. Lori thinks that she killed Michael. She's gone. She's not coming back to Haddonfield. He's still connected with Haddonfield. His power's there. So he, mm-hmm. her storyline is done. So it is ended so that they can keep it going yeah. he will i i'm saying that if they five two three years down the road when they bring a, ha- a halloween reborn you're going to see michael myers in the, you know mold covered mask and the, the the mildew and everything all over his, and he's gonna come walking out of that and it's going to start all over again and that's my theory that that's where i'm sticking so. and you, you want to know something too i said this in my re- I said this in my review. I said that um, give it five years, they'll redo it again. They'll either retcon it to a you know a new cast, or they'll try to connect it with this one, or they'll try to finish up uh, Jamie's story, or they'll do they'll do something. There's there's three different timelines for them to pick from. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, one time one timeline is completed, but I would actually like to think that. You know, she finally, she finally got him. That's what I would like to think, though, and that's actually uh, where mine comes in because in mine, I actually give a definitive ending. There's no, you know, yes, there's the the spooky, you know, creepy ending though, but it's not as obvious if that yeah. that makes sense. I get it. I get it. It's not too obvious that you know there's going to be a sequel. Because uh, you you'll see when you see the supercut because the last shot pretty much like solidifies that okay this is there is an ending to it there is an ending to this which is what I have in mind and honestly I prefer the I I did like the ending 
of uh, of ends, but I felt like the fight between him and Lori was way too damn short. That went like just like that. That to me, that fight needed to be like Anakin Skywalker versus Obi Wan Kenobi, Star Wars Episode Three oh, type yeah. of intensity. That- 15 between those two. <laughs> yeah, they needed to... They, they should have started in the house, they should have fought all over the house, and then eventually ended up into the streets, and then eventually the the junkyard. See, or... I thought it should have ended with her and him, like, because I... You, you saw that, that grinder way into the filming. I was like, you know, that's how that's going to end. But I thought it should have ended with them fighting in the in the junkyard. And them both going down together, so that it ended everything. So there would have been no more Lori and no more Michael because they went down like at each other's throats, like you know whatever. And they ground into. She's like holding on to him because he's trying to get away, and she's like, "Nope, nope, I'm taking you with me." And they just ground into. That. That's what I wanted to happen. Because <laughs> that would have That's been a definitive ending. <laughs> You know, and, and that's what I said. You know, I said that in my prediction video. I'm like, if they decide to to kill them both, I would be happy with that because one, Laurie has peace. Michael's gone. Yep. The only thing that would have really pissed me off is that Michael would have won again, and they would have kept on going, even though they're gonna make more oh, yeah. later on down the road. But I just wanted to see. A definitive end. I've always, there's one thing I've always wanted to see in like a slasher movie, especially like uh, modern slashers, is for them to have a definitive end. And the only definitive end that I've actually seen, even though it's an awful movie, is Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Because at the very end, she blows him up with the pipe bomb. She says Freddy's dead, and then that's it. There's no clue, no indication that he's still alive or anything. He's just dead. That's the end. Mm-hmm. That is the only time that I've actually seen a definitive ending for like any like slasher character. And of course, you've had like the the recent Dracula that Francis Ford Coppola did, where yeah. you know he gets the definitive end though. But I'm talking like the the main slashers, like you know yeah. Jason, Freddy, Michael, and etc. And I guess we kind of have an, a definitive end with Michael here, but. Um, we we all know that's gonna it's gonna be resurrected in like five oh, yeah. years or so. Oh yeah. But no. Uh, what else did you want to uh, um, ask? Okay. You. Uh, b- before we kind of got sidetracked yeah. a little bit. Before I get too far, I got I got to tell you something fun about Halloween. Is um I did okay. I did a horror movie convention uh back in September uh, over in Virginia, and the whole entire weekend I got to hang out with. Three of the guys who worked on um, the Hellraiser movies. Um, oh, nice! Two of the guys worked on Hellraiser. Well, one guy worked on Hellraiser three through ten, and another guy worked on uh, four through ten. And then the other one was the Pinhead in the last one. That was the last Dimension film one before it went to Hulu. Um, but we're sitting there mm-hmm. talking, and I'm like, man, I was like, I guess, you know, because we're just, there's, it's slow, and then we're just, I'm like asking dumb questions throughout the entire thing. And the one guy is the special effects makeup guy, guy named Gary Tunnicliffe. Mm-hmm. A ton of movies and stuff like that. And he's like, I was like, you worked on the Halloween movies. And I was like, and you worked on Hellraiser. I was like, can I ask you how close the Hellraiser Halloween crossover movie was? He goes, it wasn't. He goes, all them, 
like, oh, this was going to happen. He goes, no, it wasn't. Never going to happen. Never in a million years. He goes, he goes, uh, Assad was, uh, um, um, didn't want it. And I can't remember the people that had the Hellraiser, the, like the, the final people in there, like, somebody at Dimension goes, hey, we have these two. And, you know, Freddy versus Jason did well. So somebody at Dimension goes, we have these two. And then the people who had the rights, you know, the, uh, um, the Assad, and I, like I said, the Hellraiser people went, Nope. Nope. And so that whole thing, nope. yeah, it was the same thing with John Carpenter was going to direct it and, and Clive Barker was going to write it. Nope. He said it got to the early stages of somebody in a, in a boardroom going, hey, we have these. And then somebody going, no, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and he was telling me about that. Does not, that doesn't surprise me. He was telling um, me about uh, working on Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. No, you Finish yours, and then I, I I have a story to tell. It's pretty much like that. So we we continue talking. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, I worked on. Uh, he goes, I was working on Hellray on oh, uh, Halloween 3D, and um, I was like, really? He goes, oh yeah. He goes, we had cast, we had locations, we had special effects, we had a budget. He goes, we had everything. He goes, when it came down to it, he goes, we're like, I think he said like like just a handful of days to, to begin filming, and it all went kaput. He goes, it was going to get made. He goes, I was, he goes, I couldn't tell you how many movies I started working on that never got made. He goes, and that's one of them. Mm -hmm. he goes, Halloween 3D was was one that, that was way into production and in the pre-production, and it never made it into production. So... I know that I know that one was uh, that it almost got made, and then um, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can handle a Halloween 3D movie, and um, you know, it was just at that point in time where I just got burned out again with Michael, because um, you know, unlike you know some people, I actually don't mind the first Rob Zombie Halloween. I actually really enjoyed his take on it, even though Rob needs to. Shy away from his stepping stones for what he did for House of a Thousand Corpses, House of a Thousand Corpses, because not every single of his characters need to look like they were on the Jerry Springer show. That is just my personal opinion. Wait, oh, yeah. hey you. But um, no, you were talking about how close they were getting for Hellraiser and and uh, Michael Myers. Um, I met John Castagnola. Uh, Junior, I, I think I butchered his name, but he did the special effects for the original Basket Case, um, Manhunter, which is the first Hannibal Lecter movie, yep. which before it became, um, you know, with Anthony Hopkins, oh, Bill Peterson, and did, uh, yep. Dick Tra did Dick, uh, did uh, makeup for Dick Tracy, won the Academy Award for the makeup for Dick Tracy, but when I met him, he just did Heath Ledger's makeup for The Dark Knight. And he was telling me, he commented on my, my Heath Ledger tattoo, because I have a Heath Ledger tattoo of mm -hmm. the Joker, and he noticed my um, my tattoo, and we were talking about Heath, and um, you know, he was telling me all these stories about how him and you know, Heath would be bond, you know, they would be bond and they would be having a good old time and everything, and I just said, I gotta ask, because it's been on my mind. And I know that a lot of the stuff they put in, like, the tabloids is just, you know, hot air. I'm like, did Heath lose his mind while on set? And he says, 
No, that was all BS. The only time that he got like, you know, dark, dark was because he was dealing with, you know, a divorce at the time. But other than that, he was in like, you know, good spirits. He was talking about his kid. Um, and then, of course, when he had to, you know, be the Joker, he had to like turn on that darkness again. Though. Oh, yeah. But the only time he got, he got like, you know, like dark was when he had to like deal with like, you know, the divorce procedures and everything. Oh, yeah. But, like, him, like, going crazy on set, like, him making everyone uncomfortable, no, that was all BS. So, that was just funny that you just mentioned that, you know, about Hellraiser and Halloween. It's like, oh, I heard story from the inside that, you know, something like that, and no, it wasn't true. Oh, yeah. Okay, edit? Alright. <laughs> so, I have, to, I, have to, I have to ask you the hard-hitting questions now. Okay. Sure. Okay. Other than Halloween, what other franchise would you like to work in? Oh boy! It doesn't have to be uh, horror. It can be whatever. Anything. Mm -hmm. Well, as much as I love horror, um, you know that's not only the thing I really like to focus on. Um, when it comes to like uh, uh, franchises, uh, there's a couple of them that come to mind, and one. I have a very strong vision for uh, for the Resident Evil series. I would love to do an actual like adaptation that is based on the atmosphere of the games, but have you know actual good actors. Just to put it lightly, because the other actors in the other movies were just awful. I didn't mind the Welcome to Raccoon City. I, I enjoyed that. that that one actually felt more in tone with, like, Resident Evil, though, but the fact that they tried to cram one and two into just an under-two-hour movie just didn't make sense to me. I mean, I I did like the fact that both events were going on at the same time, though, but if you are a nerd like I am with the Resident Evil franchise, you know, one takes place in September, two takes place, you know, like a month and a half later, you know, it's a it's one long and two and three take place on the same night. It's one long night, mm -hmm. and I would just like it to actually see. I would actually like it to see done correct. You know, with you know an actual budget. You know, with practical effects and with um, if they have to CG, it doesn't have to. It doesn't be you know a CGI you know shit fest because yeah. my personal you know one of the things I had compl I complained about with. The first time they did Resident Evil, this is with Mia Josevich, was that everything was CG. Even the zombies, even when the zombies got their heads blown off, it, it, the, the blood almost looked like it was like ripped from like the the games. It's just like you know why can't they do it like you know with what George did, George Romero did, like the practical effects. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah. But uh, I have a strong vision for. For ones two, for ones two and three, and I do have a very, very strong vision for four. Basically, the ones that have Leon. Now, I would like to take a take a stab at the other ones, but for me, I don't know. Just the situations or the stories kind of got a little bit, um, almost like cartoony, comedic to me. Especially with this last one that just came out, the uh, Resident Evil Eight. I call it. Castlevania, you know, Resident Evil Redux. Uh, I was trying to be 
trying to be clever there, though. I couldn't come up with something clever. But Resident Evil 8 just looks like a Castlevania game, just from the, the look of it and everything. Good game, but it just felt like a Castlevania game with guns. Yeah, That's what it felt like to me. But, um, no, I would like to do Resident Evil. Um, there's actually, um, um, another, well, it's not necessarily a franchise. It's based on, uh, H.G. Wells' novel, uh, The Time Machine. Yeah. I would love to do a version of The Time Machine. That's just, that's my, one of my all-time, that's actually my all-time favorite, uh, uh, novel, you know, growing up, and I loved that book from beginning to end, and I thought the first movie was fantastic, you know, with Rod Taylor, mm -hmm. uh, directed by George Powell. I have a love-hate relationship with the one they did in 2002, but um, I think they can do a... If I was given the opportunity, there would be a really good definitive... I could do a really good definitive version of what I loved about you know, yeah. the book and the two movies. Because yep. I have my own, you know, personal idea. Kind of like uh, what Peter Jackson did with his version of King Kong, how he just basically just took the source and just kind of like expanded upon it and everything. It's kind of what I would like to do. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I just, most of my stuff is um, original material, trying to find different ways to scare people, to tell stories instead of falling back on those old cliches. Like, it took me, like, um, the this recent, this new script that I'm doing, this Within the Shadows, that's my next project that's coming up. I started writing this in 2014. <laughs> I started writing this in 2014, and I got the first draft done, like, several months afterwards. But I started to pick it apart because... When I tend to write, I tend to write, like, the stuff that I know, like, you know, some of the, like, the cliches mm -hmm. and, and everything. Then I start going back and I start honing it. It's like, you know, how can I make this not seem too obvious yeah. or anything? Because if you've seen one slasher movie or one psychological movie, and then you see another one trying to piggyback off of that, you kind of see them all. Kind of like the found footage, you know genre like if you've seen the Blair Witch Project you base any other found footage movie is almost going to follow that formula mm -hmm. so I try to like I'm trying to find different ways to like you know get the audience to to react so and also just you know personal life got in the way couldn't do the movie I died raised the budget three times and uh, it just never got anywhere and hopefully this time it, it'll actually stick why well, I've actually said that if it, budget or not, I am going to do it with or without a budget because I did, you know, my version of Halloween ends with no budget based on the stuff that I had access to, plus my other shorts. If you've ever seen my any any of my other shorts, uh, so I'm just basically just going to do it that way though. But I have I've learned so much from everything that I've done from just directing and just working on other people's projects. That it's like, you know, I always thought, like, you know, this would cost me a ton of money, but if I do A, B, and C, the rest of the alphabet will fall into place with me, you know, having to not spend that much for, like, a location or for something, you know, particular to make it look, like, you know, gigantic. Yeah. Well, it's, it's nice because um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, 
I'm going to start shooting, um, I, gu I guess, a show that I want to do, like a horror show. Not really a horror show. Mm -hmm. um, best way I can explain this is it's John Wick meets The Crow. Um, <laughs> um, it's it's revenge, and what it will be is, uh, like, it'll be, you know, a couple episodes per person, and it'll each be... Mm -hmm person getting their their uh but i i've became friends with so many of these filmmakers and and special effects people i've become friends with actors and actresses now they're like oh yeah we'll do it for free i'm like sweet i like that word mm -hmm. and and that's what you have to do oh yeah especially when you're doing it on this uh, on this level i mean i yes i would love to do the you know the big budget stuff mm -hmm. but in the end it's just um you know, you just got to make it. You, you got to make it work as much oh, yeah. as you possibly can. Got to, got to go. Yeah. Mind if we take a, another breather real quick? I got to go play dad real quick. Well, why don't we go ahead and end it today? Um, because I got to go. Okay. I, ain't, I ain't ate dinner yet. Okay. Uh, so we'll we'll come back. We'll have oh, a part two down the road. How about we do that? And then maybe then my internet. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so all right. Well, That's, yeah, you're starting to like lag up. Here. Yeah. yeah. But uh, well, I thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll have you back uh, maybe in a couple weeks, yep. and uh, we'll talk more about making movies and all that fun stuff. So uh, you take care, sir, and have fun playing with them kids. <laughs> oh yeah, you can see my daughter is just being ridiculous right now. Oh, that's <laughs> what they're there for, and that's the best thing ever. The more ridiculous they are, the be the more fun they are. <laughs> I love my kids to death, man. They were goofy as hell when they were little. <laughs> So, oh, I love them. Yeah, especially this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You have a good night. All right, Paul. Well, you have a wonderful night. Thank you so much. I can't wait to can't wait to see part one, and then uh, let me know when we can do part two. Okay. Cool, cool. I'm gonna work on this. Uh, I'm gonna eat, and then I'm gonna work on this, and hopefully, I'll have it up by tomorrow uh, afternoon. Okay. Okay. Sounds cool. great. Just shoot me a message. Let me know. Okay. I will, man. Take care, man. See you, everyone. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.